Hello, Spacers. I'm Christopher Schmidt, and I'm talking today with Allison Wagner, a UX developer at Happy Cog. From her recent start at running, her career path in general, and coding with Pattern Lab, we cover a lot of wide-ranging topics in what I believe the radio professionals call a wide-ranging interview. So it's a great one. You'll definitely enjoy it as much as I did. Our sponsor for this episode is FluentConf. Put JavaScript, HTML5, CSS, and the latest web tools to work. The O'Reilly Fluent Conference, happening March 7th through 10th in San Francisco, encompasses every major and emerging web technology and tool of the web stack. Stay on top of the latest technologies, see how all the pieces fit together, and learn how to easily compare tools and frameworks so you can choose the best one for the job. Listeners, use code NBSP when you register and save 20% off at fluentconf.com. Some notes on where I'll be. Um, tickets are now on sale for CSSDevConf 2016, the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas. Check out tickets at CSSDevConf.com or on Twitter at CSSDevConf. Uh, Responsible Design Conference, the virtual RWD Summit, is a three days of performance, responsive design, and techniques sessions. Learn more and register at rwdsummit.com to either attend live and or get the recordings. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T, where I try to be witty in spite of my own typos. As always, thank you for subscribing, liking, and telling others about Non-Breaking Space show on iTunes. If you want to be super chill about it, you can also have the show sent to your email box by signing up at newsletter.nonbreakingspace.tv. Find notes and links mentioned in the show at nonbreakingspace.tv. Now, off the show. Is this good? Yeah, I think so. All right. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for being here. Yeah, absolutely. This. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Um, um, well, we always start with the question, how did you get into web, web design, and all that jazz? So just lead us into it. Like, how did you start? Like, were, were you always wanting to go into web design? or? No. Um, so, yeah, I, I never had, like, uh, I don't know, this, like, romantic notion of, like, being 12 and, like, loving markup and like, you know, (laughs) that whole deal. Um, No, I started um, after college. Well, really backing up in college, I took a class of like new media um, and the professor uh, worked at Digitas and Mm -hmm. she kind of took us through a redesign, um, all the documentation and stuff associated with it. Uh, I think she was in project management or something like that. So I kind of took that and I was like, oh man, like websites are awesome. You know, and I had been using the internet and stuff, but like I never really thought about the people who make the web, you know, I just kind of consumed it. I didn't really think about people who create it. Um, And I've always kind of had like a creative side, but then also more of like an analytical math science kind of side too. So this was a nice blending of both of those. So I taught myself Photoshop and I designed my website for myself. And then I like need to build the website so I can get a portfolio going. And I use Dreamweaver and the WYSIWYG. And I, you know. But, uh, but what were you in college for if you didn't know what you were? Oh, like, sure. What, what yeah. were you learning? What were you learning beforehand? Um, I was in advertising. So uh, the okay. 
communication school and I had a, uh, or I was, I was positioned towards art direction. So I was looking to, you know, be on the creative side of things, but probably would have gone into, I don't, yeah, like maybe be a designer or something like that, but maybe more on the marketing side of things. So it's not really like tangential to web, but not web. But it's not, but it's not too crazy outside from web design either, right? No. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I didn't do like, well, I started off as a bio major and then I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, I'm I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. So why, why biology? Is it bio or? Yeah. Biology. Um, well, um, I just kind of, it wasn't as interesting to me as I was hoping it would be. And I mean, I, I understand like, you know, when you're in college and stuff, like you're not, it's not practical application of the things that you're learning. You're just kind of consuming information at that point. But I just struggled with it um, and I didn't expect to. Um, So I kind of just went into the school of communications funnel and then found myself like there. Uh, What type of struggles? Um, I think I was just a college kid and didn't love like all the memorization associated with it. You know, just like, I just, it it didn't seem, I, I just I don't know. I, I I didn't think that I was able to exercise the creative side of me. Okay. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I just, um, I was just interested. Yeah. I totally understand that. Like I was supposed to be a, a double major and I just like the other part was major. I was like, ah, forget this. I'm going to go do design instead. That's way, way more interesting. So yeah. Oh uh, yeah. So, um, do media, just this, you know, you're about what's web stuff. And so, Pretty much, you seems like you went down the rabbit hole, right? You, you started one design for web, and then you had to build the website, and then you had a portfolio. And then, so where where did that lead you to next? Um, I uh, got hired at an advertising agency. I was um, waiting tables through college, and one of the frequent or the regulars, whatever, you know, would ask me about like what I do, you know. And I said, you know, I was in school, and I was looking to go into some sort of advertising role. Um, and then as I kind of progressed and graduated, um, he set me up with an interview at the place he worked at. Um, so I left school and was immediately hired. So I was super lucky in that regard. And this was 2007, 2008 was the end of 2007. Um, and so I went into their new media department and I think my, my title was like interactive specialist. (laughs) Um, and I was doing uh, things like email campaigns and their, the websites that they were managing for clients were not CMS-based. So I was making content updates weekly, um, you know, flash banner ads, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was there a year and I think I paid my dues, um, <laughs> you know, that's what it said, right? Um, but I also wasn't super busy there. Um, so I had time to do tutorials and kind of teach myself best practices in the current state of the web. Um, and I spent a lot of time on CSS tricks and I watched a lot of pod or, um, video screencasts. Um, Chris has, Chris Coyer has, uh, a, a series. It was like PSD to WordPress one, two, three, you know, there's, there's three videos in that. And that was like super special to me. I like watched those and then I redid them. And then there's just like light bulbs everywhere, you know? So, just being able to do those tutorials kind of helped me and positioned me to be somebody who knew how to code websites. At, at least like I had set the 
kind of playing field to be able to learn from there. But so my basics were mostly covered at that point. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Tricks has helped a lot of people. Uh, Yeah. It's an, it's incredible. The amount of, yeah, like reach and just impact that that one website has really had on, on the web. It's, yeah. yeah. Where'd you go from, um, that one year gig, if you will. I'm not really, I don't see. Yeah, no. Um, well, I had through like doing these tutorials, reading articles on the internet and stuff. Mm. Um, I was, you know, reading a list apart and then through a list apart, I noticed the logo at the bottom was happy cog and I like, clicked okay. on that. And then I realized that happy cog was a web studio that was based in Philadelphia and mm. I'm in Philadelphia yeah. and I like kind of couldn't believe it. You know, I was like <laughs> myself, like, this is awesome. Like these guys, know what they're doing and I can't believe they're in, in Philly. And I like just, you know, started to kind of have this like romantic relationship with Happy Godly. I just loved it. Um, and so I sent Dan Mall an email uh, with my portfolio site and I, um, you know, asked him if he would review it and if he was, you know, open to doing an informational interview, that kind of deal. So he brought me in. Um, I interviewed in a group setting. There's like six people in the interview. Um, and yeah, and I came to the table, um, after just creating, um, my first WordPress site from scratch. And I like used my, uh, my dad, um, and was like on the board for his, uh, community and like wanted to have a website. So I made one, you know, pro bono or whatever, just to, to learn. And then I brought that to the table at the interview just kind of showing that I like really wanted to learn and get better. And I applied design to it. And I think that went over well with them. So um, I was almost looking just for like an internship with them, but then um, Greg Hoy, the president said, you know, that we'd like to offer you a position as a developer. So um, I actually started off as a contract developer with them and I was contract for nine months and then I was hired full time. Oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah. So, and then you've been with them ever since. Is that right? Yeah, I've been with them since. So I've I've worked here now six years. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. And, um, and what, what would you consider your job title to be right now? Well, my job title uh, with Happy Cog is developer. Okay. Because we have developers, and then we have a development, or our, we have a director of development. We don't okay. have we don't we don't specify in title. Like what your specialty or where you lean. Okay. But then when I talk to clients or when I talk to my friends, I would say I'm a front end developer. Okay. Um, but then I've also positioned myself recently as a UX developer. Okay. So I so, like that little pivot. Okay. Yeah. Why, why UX developer? Um, because I'm more UX thinking, design thinking, leading, leaning rather then backend functionality, application level, JavaScript. Um, I, you know, am doing UX design, whether or not it be prototyping or just, um, you know, through sketching meetings with, with designers. But um, I'm very interested in the UX thinking behind a site. Um, and then providing feedback on visual design assets, but not doing a ton of like Photoshop work ever. Um, but then extending those Photoshop or static visual design, uh, assets into the browser and then through responsive states. Um, so I, yeah, I just, 
and like applying more UX thinking to development um, from the very beginning of the project. Okay, and, and how is that different? Like, because there's been a lot of I don't know, dust up is like proper word for it, but a lot of um, you know, Brett Foss has an article about front end um, design uh, designer, uh, not front, I don't know, front end developer, and then also um, uh, Michael Micah has an article about the front end. Front-end architecture. No, he has a recently new book about it. Oh, so, okay. So, yeah. So, so, so where, where would you put the UX developer in that, or would you even put it in the ballpark of that, or would you? Just yeah, say, I mean, it's certainly like it's just sandbox. yeah, it's semantics. But um, yeah. I I I think because like I'm I don't want to describe it in the absence or yeah of like heavy-duty JavaScript thinking, but I do presentational JavaScript. Okay. So I manipulate the DOM. I you know where necessary, use it, you know, to toggles, move things around, that kind of a deal. But I'm, I'm not doing heavy duty, you know, working in React or anything like that. So I'm, you know, I'm more design leaning. I just have much more of an interest in like the The beginning stages. Yeah, the visual, exactly. I'm a design leading, leaning um, developer. All right. So like, so UX is like more like visual or like, interactive part and then you have a developer just we're developing ux and uh, be more programming where it sounds like micah from my i know micah's a little more familiar because i my um i should the uh, disclaimer actually was a tech editor on my book so but uh, oh, okay. I, know, I know a little more about it than uh than i should probably you. but uh but yes it's more about the thing about the step that goes into place before decisions and um before i start making the site in terms of technologies you should use and I'm hoping I'm actually doing him justice about that. But yeah, he's got a really great ideas in his book. But uh, but yeah, but you see like there's all this, you know, you know, in the industry there used to be like web master or general terms, and then there's web designer, and now we have like person doesn't really do the front end, like doesn't do the Photoshop stuff, but uh, but also does the coding, but also does more than just you know generic coding, but it has JavaScript like that. So so UX designers. Uh, UX developer, sorry. Yeah. It's, it sounds pretty nice. I like it. So nice ring to it. So, yeah, but that but it just sounds interesting. Like, we're like, our industry is going through another kind of revolution, if you will, with our job titles and specializations and stuff. Like yeah, that. It, 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 it seems like it was like condensed webmaster, and now it's just kind of spreading out as websites yeah. get more and more complicated, and we're bringing more and more technology into mm-hmm. what we present on the web. So, yeah by nature and also teams growing um that there's more room for specialization you know we used to do like these these websites are like fixed widths. it's like here's your visual design documents this is what you should make it pixel perfect you know and now there's just because the scope of projects grows has has grown so much i i I think that there's more room to kind of differentiate and specialize yeah and i feel like yeah it's just a lot more there's a lot more work to, to cover too. So yeah, it's like, it's like it's yeah, just for, so you want a flat website. Yeah. I mean, I can put a PDF up on the, <laughs> on the screen if you want, like that would do. Uh, yeah. I need a restaurant menu. Quick. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Menu. Uh, one of the things I, I got was kind of interested about your expressive CSS article and, um, and it seems like get your thoughts on that. Um, it's been a while since you, since you wrote it, but I just want to say what your thoughts on it. But in terms of, you know, we have like something like Smacks with Snook and we have BM where we have like, we just kind of embrace classitis, you know, if you will, and just putting it out there. And so um, can you give some background to what your thoughts on are 
what expressive CSS means and for the audience. And yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so um, expressive CSS is kind of like a newer term. Um, and really, I, I think it just kind of speaks to the class names that you're using, you know, being very expressive about what it is that they do. So, I mean, it's something like text color gray. Like, I, I mean, that's how I'm writing it, at least. Like, it is you know, translates directly to what the CSS property and value would look like. Um, the article that I wrote implore, or asked you to specifically use expressive CSS for typography. And so that is um, isolating your type system into classes um, and only writing your text styles once in your CSS and then applying those classes directly to elements in the HTML. Um, and it just, it's a very like succinct and crystallized kind of way of writing type. Um, it's, it's easier for iterating on. Um, and actually I, I've been using pattern lab a lot recently and, um, I have all my type styles, um, in like one atom and then I pass that off to the designer and then the designer can kind of look at the type system in, in isolation. Um, but yeah, it's, it's also very fast to do. Um, I just have my type key up running while I'm developing. So I've like written the markup and then I refer to the visual design assets and I apply the styles like before I've done anything with layout or anything like that. Like I just put the type styles in there and then it's taken care of through applying the classes directly to the element. And so what kind of, um, just so we, people know, just what type of generic? Oh, uh, sure. So yeah, have, yeah. Yeah. Last names we usually use and, yeah. and how would you put them in so the CSS? So it would be like sans large, sans x large, sans mm -hmm. x large, um, sans bold large, mm -hmm. um, you know, serif large, serif small, serif, right. you know, serif uppercase bold, um, right. large. <laughs> um so they're very descriptive and it just makes it easier to, I don't know. I've, I found that I've been cutting down on the, certainly the amount of CSS that I'm writing. Um, right. And then also just um, applying the classes directly and just makes things faster for yeah. me. Yeah, let's see. And then like then in response to design, you would just then like for, you have different sets of like what's large for a smaller screen and stuff like that. So, you'd, so within those, but would you still use the same, or you would use different um, class names for, for large, right? Or no? I'm actually not. Um, okay. I'm actually baking the responsive styles directly into the classes. Okay. And I should back up and say that formally I, I was doing this. I was like um, keeping the uh, font styles in mix-ins. And then I was mm -hmm. including the mix-ins in something that would look more like a BEM style of writing CSS. So I, or I would write like content-specific CSS. And then I would include the the type styles. Um, but that becomes verbose in your CSS. Um, and you don't get the instant gratification of like applying the HTML and then seeing it live. So, um, I've just kind of moved away from the mix-ins and more into just literal class names. So I don't really mind class itis to be honest with you. Okay. Um, I think which it's is also so weird, which is so weird. This is also like a, a growth, which is not too weird for, for recent wood history, but sometimes I look back, it's like, wow, it's like, we would uh, never do it's that full circle, you know, yeah. like that's where we maybe started. And then you like moved away from it. Cause it was like better, yeah. fancier, smarter to bundle them into classes that are grouped together. And now I think it's back again. Right. 
like very descriptive way of handling CSS. Yeah, which I think is something that like in our industry we should always question our our practices. And if it's something that like we always say like we've always done it this way or whatever, that's not not a good reason to keep on doing it. So and yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, so. I, I'm kind of surprised by myself. It's, yeah, it's kind of like when I went from single line CSS to multi line CSS, I was like, I, I was like so <laughs> really? firm in like writing single line CSS, like that's the way you do it. And then I went yeah. to multi line. I was like, oh, yeah, no, this makes sense. <laughs> uh, I never bought into the single line stuff. That was just, oh, really? That was never, that was for, that was people. For, that's people who were finessing. CSS, yeah, so. I know. And, well, and, and, you know, I'll tell you, earlier on in my career, I, like, really cared about those little finesse details. To me, that's, like, what separated me from the others. You know? and it's like you just – I've become a lot less precious with it, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah. We're at, like, water. That's what I always say. CSS rolls out like water. That's what I always say. Starting now, that's what I always say. But, uh, cool. So, um yeah, I, don't, I mean, we can talk about CSS a lot. So Pattern Lab, you, do you like Pattern Lab? You, you like using it? I do. I think that um, it took me a while to find my rhythm with Pattern Lab because it's mm-hmm. kind of so open-ended and or prescriptive. It's kind of either way. Um, I struggled a lot. So it pairs with atomic design, in, in, at least in terms of vernacular. So you have your atoms, your molecules, your organisms, templates, and then pages. Um, and then the templates and pages are driven by JSON. Um, and I like, you know, in, in my desire to be most correct, struggled with like, what's an organism? What's a molecule? What's an atom? Like I went through and like diagrammed my visual design assets to like try and figure out what it was. And um, I probably spent a little too much time on that, but um, yeah. that was in the first project that I, I worked on because I just kind of wanted to like figure it out and get like a workflow down for using this tool. It's nice in that you can include, you know, patterns over and over again inside of your templates. So you, it's like, you know, you code it once and then you can, you know, pull it into said template, which is a grouping of molecules or a grouping of organisms. Um, so it's nice in that it allowed you to kind of like partial things out. that's not revolutionary. Like, you know, I was doing that with PHP header includes and footer includes and stuff beforehand, but it provides like a nice kind of Chrome or frame around your templates um, Mm -hmm. that you can then like click on the molecules in the nav and it'll drop down and it'll show you all the different molecules that you've written. And then you can click on them and then view them all in isolation, or you can view all the molecules. Um, when you load Pattern Lab up and you, it actually loads every single atom molecule that you've written. Um, so it's a, a nice kind of really high level view of the code that you have to date in the project. Um, it could serve as, as a style guide if, if you wanted it to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've liked it in that regard. Absolutely. So but Pattern Lab is just essentially, I'm, and I've been trying to get my head around Pattern Lab, so to speak. Yeah, uh, I've, I've seen Brad talk about it like a number of times, and there's not a ton of documentation on it. Yeah, it's so like so, my brain is still kind of stuck on like making it work. I mean, uh, Micah's book has a really great way of, of working with it, um, and um, but yeah, Power Lab is essentially templates, micro templates, if you will. If I can use the word micro, we use words like atomic, but uh, atoms and some of that, but. Yeah. Uh, just stay scientific. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> take a microscope and look at it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah the, but they're just like mini HTML templates, right? I mean, because he says right off off the bat that like he probably should strip away the CSS that they provide, and then you have to provide your own CSS t- tools 
and that's that's where it kind of like, I got my hang up. I was like, oh, wait, you, yeah. want to, you want me to strip out the CSS and then start working with HTML? I was like, I can write HTML just fine. I'm not sure what the problem is. So yeah, yeah. exactly. So 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 I you know, and he says to like rip out all the templating code that he has in there, all all, all the right. CSS. So it's not prescriptive. It's it's not. Um, it's not a bootstrap or anything like that. It's right. it's really just logic around viewing the various partials that you have in your templates right. and a way to view them inside of this like pattern lab frame. Right. Um, it's it just yeah like does a lot of the logic for you. But the thing is, it's like clients sometimes have a hard time with pattern lab. Like I always link clients to the generated links, not to the um, templates inside of pattern lab. Um, Cause I have noticed some discrepancies um, between how, how things render. Um, and then also I think it's just a little bit confusing because you're loading your website in to an iframe. So if you resize the browser but not resize the frame that you're viewing right. your template within. It's just, it's like another layer of abstraction mm-hmm. that we love in our industry. We love like tools and like me, you know, like just adding abstraction upon abstraction to the point where it's like, well, I'm just writing HTML and CSS. Like, why does it have to be so difficult? Like it shouldn't be this difficult. So I'm kind of also like trying to balance like the amount of tools and the amount of things that I'm throwing into a project versus like what a client is actually asking for. Like how, how much is it for me and how much is it for them? Um, and so, you know, we handed off Pattern Lab templates to a third party and an in-house team, um, actually for, for the NYT team that and that site just launched. Um, and I commented in um, our code, like, this is where the Pattern Lab markup is in the templates that are being generated. So don't include this in your build. You don't need this. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just, it also just comes with, with more files and that kind of thing. It just, it's nice for us, I think. Yeah. As developers, I think that it's it can potentially be difficult if you're not doing the full build yourself, or it just adds like you know it's like one Basecamp post to to explain it or like one phone call. But yeah. what if somebody wasn't on that call or like someone yeah. didn't read that Basecamp post? You know, it's just like more confusion. Right. Um, so I you know sometimes I think like why don't I just go back to the old way where I would just like write the HTML the CSS and then make a you know, table of contents page and just always link to that. And then it's just a lot, you know. Yeah. But then someone makes a change and you have to go back and update everything manually. But I did like uh, Mark's, uh, I'm not sure, I don't want, since Mark's not here, I want to speak for him, but but he, it sounds like he talked about uh, on cognition as well as like about taking Pirate Lab and using um, JSON to uh, use it and to generate with uh, craft CMS. And so that basically everything's talking to each other, JSON. So it's automatically, it's automatically being awesome. Is that yes. Awesome? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I can't speak too, too much to his twig and mustache no. templates integration. Um, but I know that it was a very interesting um, approach. And I feel like there's a fork on GitHub for Pattern Lab where, some of that exploration is is going on, or maybe like Pattern Lab 2.0 is is using Twig instead of Mustache or something to that effect. I'm not entirely sure, um, but it was kind of yeah to like have templates driven by Pattern Lab directly and, and pulled directly into Craft. Um, 
So there was something smart going on with him there. There always <laughs> okay. is with Mark. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah His latest thing that he, he's doing is he's um, spinning up URLs for branches in GitHub. So there's this like kind of strange tension where um, you have work at, as a developer in a branch and you want to be able to talk about it with a designer or somebody else. Um, but it's not on master yet, or it hasn't been pushed, you know, to some URL. So you can't actually talk about it. And you swear like, oh, it exists. I swear it does. Here's a screen cap of it. Um, but he's spinning up URLs unique for each branch. So if you name, a, you know, a branch visual QA or something or other, wow. then you can link to that branch. And he also wrote a cognition article about that. And it was like something to the effect of like, you can't hide in development now, you know, like <laughs> show your cards. Um, and, and that's been very effective for us for our most recent projects. I think oh, he's nice. like using Circle CI and okay. Docker. Uh, you've also been traveling um, as a nomad, right? It's like we talked a little bit beforehand, and so you want to you've been Airbnb in it while working. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, 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 how's that? Explain that. How's that? Because sure. you've been because you you've been. I'll just backtrack a little bit, but so like you've. Been in Philadelphia for much like for as long as we've we've known each other this past half hour, and that so uh, so you we went to school. You noticed they were in Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Yep. And you've been working with her for how long before you decided to? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I um I I guess I was there for five four and a half maybe yeah I was maybe five five years in and I went to uh, the president of the company who is now uh, Joe Rinaldi. Um, and I said, Hey, I have this idea. I would really, really like to work remote and go to Europe. <laughs> and how do you feel about that? Um, and I kind of leaned on the fact that I've been here for five years and I've built up a share of, you know, trust um, with my coworkers and just with the company at large. And they know how invested I am in having like a super solid end product and, you know, I'm just not going to go off the reservation or something, you know, and I, I was actually a little bit nervous that like maybe I would go off the reservation. But I didn't. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I asked him if he was okay with that. And he was, um, and that was January of 2015. Um, so then I just kind of started planning um, and um, ended up going uh, and living and working uh abroad, uh, September, October, and a little bit of November. Um, and Airbnb does this awesome thing where if you rent for over 28 days, there's discounts involved. Okay. Um, I think it's like a 30% discount or something. So it just became doable. Um, so I did a month in Rome and then I took a week off, traveled a little bit, and then I did a month in Paris. Um, and it was incredible. And, you know, we work on our laptops or at least we can work on our laptops it, it might not be ideal necessarily, but there's ways around that, you know? So, um, and things like Slack and screen hero and Google hangouts, you know, like make remote work doable. People do it all the time. A lot of companies are moving towards distributed teams. Um, and so I wanted to try my hand at it. You know, I, I've, I've been in the happy cog office since, since I started, I hadn't done remote really, except for some, you know, occasional work from home days, but, um, you know, I just wanted to take advantage of the fact that I could do it. And, um, I'm at a company that trusts me and this is the time and get going because I also grew up around Philadelphia, went to right. school in Philadelphia, got a job in Philadelphia and right. I wanted to experience things, you know, and I like really hadn't spent too much time in Europe. 
save for actually going to a, a JavaScript conference in Vienna that Happy Cog sent me to. So Happy Cog's great, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but I like wanted to travel and that was my opportunity to do it. I would uh, take trips on, on the weekends, um, mm-hmm. you know, out of Rome to, you know, went to the Amalfi Coast, yada, yada. And it was just a wonderful time and I just want to go back. <laughs> so so how long you know, you? But, like, anybody can do it. Like, that's what I keep trying to tell people is like, you just, Save a, save a little bit. I've rented out my apartment in Philadelphia. So somebody lived in, in my place that covered my rent, you know, mm-hmm. and, and a little bit more. Um, and just, yeah, like these, these modern services that exist or, you know, they just make it super easy. I used Uber and Yelp. And, you know, I'm just trying to think of all the services that like made this possible that like probably weren't available necessarily like, you know, seven, eight years ago, but now make, make this kind of thing totally doable. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Cause that's one of the things that, that kind of like floored me was that, um, which I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't be cause like it's the internet's international, but, uh, it's that, uh, we went to a conference in Sweden and we went there for, before the conference started and I pulled out my phone. I was like, yeah, we need a ride. Let me just see what we can do. And it's just like, I can get an Uber like right up to my door. I was just like to go to the, to go to a restaurant or the conference or whatever. So it was just like, and we just told it here and beat it. So it was like pretty awesome. And Yelp is everywhere. And so. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that the Uber drivers, like Uber X drivers in Paris are like Uber black drivers here. They're like fantastic. They oh, yeah. get out, open the door. They're like wearing suits. They got these nice black cars with the leather interior. It's like, <laughs> it's, oh man. And then I come back to Philly. No offense, Philly, but like getting picked up in like a 98 Corolla with like ripped yeah. interior. I was <laughs> just like, all right, well, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's also, uh, yeah, we went to, we took an Uber to our friend and she lived in this nice neighborhood by like half hour out. And so it was pretty weird showing up in an Uber black. It was like this total like, <laughs> so um, everyone was like wondering like who, who we were. And why, like, yeah. we're, like royalty or something like that? It's just like, uh, yeah, uh, we're just nerds. Sorry, guys, don't mind us. Just using yeah. technology yeah. as it's intended to be used. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah, so people who want to go nomad, like, uh, like uh, nomad, it seems like a bad thing, but it's pretty awesome. Because uh, I actually have a friend I've known for a while. He runs uh, Sketched.org, which is a scheduling software for. Uh, conferences and festi- music festivals and all that stuff like that. And uh, he just, he and his girlfriend, uh, pretty much 10 months out of the year, they're outside of the United States, you know, and they Living just, the dream. yeah. So like uh, they went, uh, they learned how to surf and uh, like Costa Rica, I think. And I was just like, eh, you know, whatever. <laughs> so yeah, yeah so it's pretty awesome. And, uh, and uh, his tips were, I don't know what tips you have, but like his tips were definitely stay longer and also, I'm not sure if I guess Airbnb is baked in, but he says like if you're going to stay there for weeks on end, uh, ask directly for a discount. Yes. On top yeah. of that, so and then um, yeah. Um, also, just look for Wi-Fi. And also, uh, if you're going to stay there, you're going to stay and you, like because you come with if you're going to stay there for a month, it means that they it's less hassle for the owner, you know, to deal with. So you actually you know yes. ask them ask them to do a speed test on their Wi-Fi on the internet and make sure it's up to speed. Yeah, you know, if you will, speed. Uh, not intended pun. Um, and then um, I'm not sure, like, if you thought about in terms of uh, like food locations or grocery stores at all with with, with your like with your Airbnb. But um, any other tips that you have? Yeah, people? I mean, um, I did a lot of research on the neighborhoods um, yeah. that, 
that I was going to be staying in. Um, and I was like very specific about that. I definitely reached out to the hosts and asked for a special price because yeah, they're not sending a cleaning person through every three or four days. Um, it's just less overhead for them. Um, so most Airbnb people hosts like the month long tenants. Um, the Wi-Fi app actually in both places in uh, Rome and Paris were like at least adequate and Paris was pretty good, like really good. Um, and that was awesome. And, but I had backup plans in case, cause you know, I was working while I was there and I didn't want to have any missteps. So I already had Googles for like places I could, you know, get portable Wi-Fi and that kind of a thing. The one issue I did have around technology though, is my phone. That was tricky because um, I am a Sprint customer. Don't yeah. judge me, but <laughs> it's a judge for you. Though. It's the same, yeah. same zone here. Sometimes I take like screen caps and then I like crop out the Sprint on the upper. <laughs> How vain is that? Um, so um, I'm a Sprint person, and the Sprint international rates are terrible. Um, okay. And I just it just it, it wouldn't have worked out. So I got there, and you know I got a SIM card and that kind of a deal. But in doing so, I um, gave up my number, or I didn't give up my number personally. I like or permanently, I put um, my phone number on vacation mode with Sprint. But then I um, didn't get any of my phone calls or any you know thing like. So I like tried to make it known that like, hey, I'm, I'm not getting this. This is the best way to get in contact with me. Um, but that became a problem because actually the last weekend that I was in Paris was the Paris attacks. Oh, okay. And I didn't have my phone number. So a friend, family just freaking out, trying to reach, reach you, yep. make sure you're okay. Yep. And they're not new. It, like, it's kind of almost like one, it's like maybe my biggest, like, oh man, I really should have just like, sw- could it, you know, but I did actually get out in front of it and, um, I told my parents I was okay. And I like wrote a little message on Facebook saying that I, I was okay before the news broke in America. So right. everybody knew that I was okay, but then I just right. like, regretted, like, I don't know, people who I just didn't think about maybe didn't get through to me. And I wasn't able to communicate to them that I, I was okay. Cause things were just like, you know, it was like an insane kind of, and it, it was actually my last weekend there. Right. Um, so it was just like, Oh, you know, it was like so sad. Um, yeah and strange but um yeah, but yeah right. way, I bet, right what surreal in a way too a bit right surreal yeah, just like you know because because you go there for prayers and like you have a great time oh it's god month, and then, like then things just go kind of sideways you know yeah. like, with um, the tragedy yeah that happened there. So, yeah, yeah it was and I, I i was actually in um i was in the neighborhood i was staying in, in in the 11th and i was um like three blocks away or so from like where one of the um, not to be, you know, down or whatever, but like where like one of the mass shootings happened. So it was wow. just like, you know, so I was like in my apartment that night, like with the lights off, doors locked, like wow. just like wow. freaked out, you know, and I actually yeah. had walked past where that was like, I, honestly, God, like six minutes before like 18 people were, wow. so it was just, you know, but that's like, that's, that's. Wow. That's so you're like, right. like, I didn't know, I didn't realize that. So like the Instagram comments, like really stupid now but yeah so you were right there like you're just like yeah so you're just yeah wow, it was weird that. like watching and like a world news event like unfold in 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 front of you on like twitter first right you know, and, like seeing that and and then like maybe 40 minutes later american news organizations picking it up and and then starting to see it on on the mm-hmm. tv but we were just like in our uh, apartment my, my boyfriend also traveled with me and and just kind of like 
this is weird, but it like wasn't necessarily true yet because we hadn't seen it on CNN or like, (laughs) you know, like we like needed something familiar to cement the magnitude of what was going on. And it just kind of like got bigger and bigger because at first it was the explosion at the stadium and then it was, you know, people were, and then it became the hostage thing and then it became a terrorist thing. And it just kind of kept bubbling up and up and up and up and up. But, um, but yeah, so that was the last thing. And I guess that's, you know, but not to discredit, you know, traveling abroad in, in any way, I would still recommend it. And I want to do it again. Like, oh, no, no. I mean, it's just, you know, you got to keep on living your life, right? It's just, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's just, and that, and going and visiting in countries, one, is just always great. I mean, because it, well, it makes you value home more, but also just realizes how small the world is and how much, you know, you have global neighbors, you know, just meet people all, all walks of life and see the history of, you know, of the world, you know, pretty much. Yeah. So other, yeah. other cultures and stuff. Um, yeah. and let me just tell you, peanut butter in Paris, super expensive. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. I good to know. I do have not, I don't think I've tried peanut butter in Paris. I have to go back. Go, yeah. Um, but it, it was cool being there for a month because you got to like go back to places that you liked, you know, not yeah. just like, like a one and done kind of a thing. Like you could be like a pseudo regular, like, you know, I had a favorite waitress at like a favorite corner bistro and kind of, you know, like that kind of stuff, like made you feel like you were really living there. And right. you, you, so, you had a routine in Paris. Is that what yes. Yeah. yeah. At least I developed one. The first month in Rome, like, it, like I was like trying to kind of figure out like exactly how to do it, you know? And right. then by the time Paris came around, like I was like, all right, I know what to do. As soon as I get here, I need to like go to the grocery store, get the essentials, go and get this and that. And just like, you know, put things away and feel organized and then you're settled. And mm-hmm. So I feel like more, more prepared for the next, I don't know where I'm going to do. I actually want to go to Barcelona next. That'd be great. But kinda, awesome. I yeah. Must, yeah. I went there for uh, a conference and uh, it was just, again, we spent, I think we spent some more time getting there. Like we get there and get acclimated. So we spent a couple of days extra before the conference proper and, um, uh, it's, it's one of, a, one of our, my favorite cities. Okay, so, yeah. yeah. It's just, it looks, and the location's nice too. Like, it would be cool to go down to Morocco. I don't know. Yeah, that's, great. you know, I don't have anything planned. I'm not, it's, it's <laughs> not there yet, but that's, it's like a, a you know, if if I can. Yeah. So you're asking for ideas, is that what you're saying? For people <laughs> who are listening to this, tweet at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me know. For, yeah, okay. where should I go? I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll create a Twitter poll. <laughs> there you go. That goes back to uh, working at Happy Cog for, five, six years, right? Because like you built the trust to do that. And then because that statement, you know, is pretty big because in our industry, you know, you see a lot of people uh, leave a job after two, three years, right? And so there's, they move on, right? Um, which is crazy because like in a generation ago, if you did that, uh, that would, the people would like throw shade at you uh, for like, you can't keep a job for a long time. But now it seems like, you know, uh, you, you learn a skill, like, uh, learn skill set and they have to move on to, to another thing like that. So, so, so the benefits, you know, one, one benefits is that, uh, you go to Paris for a month, right? So, no. yeah. <laughs> so but yeah. what, what benefits do you have for like, I mean, happy cog is a great place, uh, uh, to work at one, yeah. you have great people too, but, uh, are there other benefits for working at one place for, for very long? Yeah. I mean, just kind of going back to the trust thing, but then also, yeah, like knowing your coworkers really well, like feeling, feeling like you helped create the fantastic environment that you work in, like being invested. Um, yeah. I mean, just 
knowing your coworkers like really well, the like ups and, and, and downs and like having familiar conversations because I've had this situation with a client before and I already have kind of my position prepared, like how, how to answer things on, on the fly. Um, and that's something that people could take with them from place to place. But I feel like there's a heartbeat at companies or, you know, there's like just this intrinsic kind of like core values, you know, and we kind of position ourselves as like your neighborhood friendly developers, you know, like we're, we like everyone can talk to the client and it's like more casual and it just doesn't have to be this like super kind of like highbrow, like buttoned up engagement, you know, like we like work with people. Um, and so like just kind of knowing that that's how we work and that's how we do things, um, is afforded just by time. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah. I like feel very passionate about my, my place here at happy cog and like what happy cog, you know, has been and what it's become. Um, I'm really proud of it. Um, mm-hmm. and that comes with time. I, I think also, yeah, just like kind of seeing projects like in our process evolve over time and having the history to call back upon like, well, that's how we did it this time, you know, and like, you know, our process is kind of ever evolving and we'll like do different pieces. Like, you know, it'll be wireframes or it'll be PDDs or it'll be like in browser prototypes or, you know, all the different ways to explore user experience as just one particular aspect um, are things that we've done before and um, helps to kind of like piece together the perfect project plan for that client because everyone comes to us with a different problem. Okay. Cool. Yeah, just yeah, I guess that's you know you get to see and stay and see something mature as you go through it. So it's pretty Yeah. Pretty yeah, and like knowing the culture really well is also kind of important and then like being, you know, just wanting to shepherd new people through oh, wow. you know the the onboarding process. Okay. Um, that's I don't know, it's important. Yeah, and I don't like I in no way, like I totally understand like why people would stay at a place for, for two years and then want to look somewhere else, you know, because they want to grow their skill set, They want a, a different environment. Like it's about their own professional growth and that totally makes sense. Um, and you do you, um, I've just been really, really happy. And, you know, maybe that's, I would hope it's, it's not rare, but, um, it's just, this is an environment, um, that fosters your professional growth. I've also been somebody who like, I'll like pull in things that like make it interesting to me. Like I made being six years here interesting by doing this, uh, you know, work remote thing. Like I make it interesting by making sure I'm using new technologies, new things on each passing project. That's, there's a little bit of initiative involved. It's not all happy cog, but, um, you know, there's a partnership there between, myself and the entity. Right, right. So like stuff, like, I mean, dude, well, it's also Happy Cog's in best interest to make you a little bit happier, but uh, I'm not going <laughs> to make, I'm gonna call Happy Cog out, but uh, it's just uh, that, uh, you know, like as much as you've invested in Happy Cog, they've invested in you and they would say, hey, if you want to go out and take the initiative and like, you know, because you'll need to over-communicate because we've we talked to um, uh, Carl Smith before about over-communication, like when you're remote. But yeah. uh, when you're when you're remote, but we don't we can't. It's the cost for replacing you if you walked outside the door is be like astronomical, right? So really, you invest in five or six. Yeah, I mean like five to six years in the industry. Yeah, it's astronomical. <laughs> also, it's right along to Joe Rinaldi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you actually write down the numbers, yeah. they actually spell out the word astronomical. It's kind of weird. Oh wow! Uh, really? Yeah, it's great. But yeah, I think it's not astronomical. But it's, it's a, 
fair price, but uh, I could totally like you know delete this last sentence from if you want <laughs> for the podcast. He doesn't he doesn't hear it, but yeah, I think it's it's too, because it's it's an interest to make you happy, and if you're still gonna be uh, in and um, if you say like, hey, I'm really interested in seeing Rome for th- for thirty days, and then I'll be I'll be back within a year. Now that's yeah. you know that's fine. Yeah, I, I almost feel like I like I had increased in investment um, mm-hmm. as a result of like being given that that freedom. Like it just makes you a, a, appreciate, you right. know. Right. I mean, and then like many companies will say yes yeah. to that, right? So yeah, not every company would be down the road and say yeah, yeah, that'd be great. No. Right? So and that uh, you know, and so the bond and trust between you and the company are is tighter i would assume right yeah so, i mean yeah. i kind of joked that like i was like a better employee when i was remote when i was working abroad because i like kind of went full throttle um yeah. and just made sure that i was on top of my stuff something interesting though is that i was working i think six hours ahead of east coast time mm-hmm. um which actually worked to my benefit because i'm not a morning person and i mm-hmm. like would sign on at like two and that would be eight a.m. here so i'm already like kind of like an hour ahead of when most people start um and then you know i would work till about 10 o'clock at night um and because i was trying to keep time with 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 east coast um Mm -hmm. but i actually found that to be totally totally okay for me like it it wasn't i mean i would take like a break around seven or so go get dinner come back and finish up the rest of the day um and then you know i was I was going out a little bit because I didn't have to start work till two. So, <laughs> but ending work at you know ten p.m. or whatever, like that was, I don't know, it it worked for me. Um, and then yeah, just like making sure that I was like communicating with everybody, over communicating with everybody, um, so that nobody felt. But you know, like I had said, like Slack, everyone uses Slack now. Slack is, I mean, I very much like Slack. Yeah, yeah, Slack's everywhere, so it's kind of kind of crazy. Ugh, it's crazy, and like seeing Slack commercials is kind of like. Weeds me out a little bit. But, oh, uh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, just Slack commercials. Like we have a, uh, we see them. I don't know if it's a Super Bowl thing or something like that, but uh, it seemed like they came around during the Super Bowl. But uh, really, I didn't see that. Yeah, I'm not sure. They're not. Yeah, they're they're very cute. They're very cute commercials, I must say. Is Slack but, an Austin uh, company? Are they based in Austin? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Think so. Oh, but uh, there's a lot of things based in Austin, though. Yes, it's awesome. Yeah, it's very awesome. Come down here. Uh, oh, I've been, and I love yeah. it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, so another nothing we talked about before the show is like, uh, tell me more about this because I read the New York Times article about it and the art of being tidy. The oh, like, yeah. Marie is that the person's name or is it? Yeah, it's oh, well. Her name is Marie Kondo, and Kondo, yeah. she is a Japanese organization specialist. Okay. And now an author. Um, yes. And so she wrote this book. Yeah, the art of being tidy. Okay. Um, and it's about um, only owning the things that are precious to you that bring you joy. And yeah. joy is relative, but um, just so only kind of, owning the things that bring you. I'm writing this down. Yeah, only okay. own the things that bring you joy. Um, yeah. And then she has these different categories. Um, so you know, clothing is one of them. Books is one of them. Documents is one of them. Um, and then like miscellaneous and miscellaneous could, you know, be, be kind of whatever, but it's, um, like, don't hold on to things that like things that don't bring you joy, weigh you down and right. kind of just add clutter in, in your life. And it was particularly poignant to me because it was a time when I was moving out of my house 
and into an apartment. Um, and I like needed to get rid of stuff. So I read it and then I was like, okay. And one of the things that she says is like, take all your clothes, dump it in the middle of a room and then pick each one of them up individually. So like go to the basement, get all your clothes, go all the random places where you, I don't know, maybe I just keep clothes in random places that might not be normal, but, um, everything together, look at this huge pile of things that you own and then pick everything up individually and kind of tactile. And then, you know, it's a little, I don't know, but you know, and if it doesn't bring you joy, then get rid of it. And I got rid of 70% of my clothing at least. Um, and you know, it leaves you with this wardrobe that's like curated wardrobe. That's just kind of nice. Like you're, and even to this day, after I've already done that one, like initial purge or whatever, like mm-hmm. if I put something on and then I don't actually end up wearing it. Cause I'm like, ah, this doesn't work. Like I have like a, like an ongoing Marie pile where I'd like, am <laughs> donating to Salvation Army or there was this service called thread up or whatever that sends you bags and you can ship um, clothing off to them. But then I did it for my books and then I did it for my Twitter uh, people that I follow. And then I did it for <laughs> my Facebook friends and like, uh, you know, bathroom products, kitchen utensils. Like I just, but I've become like kind of obsessed with it because it just makes me feel really good to get rid of things. I've stopped accumulating things actually. I really haven't okay. gone shopping very much because it's, I just, I, you know, I don't know. It's like kind of like a mental shift um, right. where I was like, like, you know, buying things before. Now I'm more just like getting rid of things. And this has been going on now for a year. So it's not, this isn't like, you know, flash in the pan thing. And, and I just have been loving it. Yeah. Um, highly recommended. Uh, it's Connery, the art of being tidy. It's a New York times bestseller. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, check it out by your library. So you don't have to buy it. Yeah. Uh, really, yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I think um, another thing I've learned um, not related to that, but I uh, just, uh, just make sure your workspace is actually working. You know, if something is in your way constantly or does not, it's not actively or like passively helping you in your job, just get rid of it. So I have, I made it this past weekend. I mean, made a big dent in my desk, but now it's nice. trying nice. to like you know maybe get like a nice little mini testing lab with real devices oh, would cool. help out a lot. So just trying to think about that. So yeah, yeah, that's very cool. But yeah, yeah. I I kind of ascribe to the idea, or like maybe like people who are um, not like messy, but just like people who aren't tidy. Like how you know um, there's like. Uh, creative people aren't necessarily tidy. They exist in chaos. They flourish right. in chaos almost. Right. Like that's, a, that's like a commonly, you know, thought, thought. Um, and so I kind of like leaned on that too. And then after like, yeah, clean surfaces, like not a lot around like visually to like add, add clutter just, yes, yeah, help me. So I, you know, my desk here is, there's nothing on it. Yeah. That's <laughs> I awesome. have the monitor and a keyboard. Yeah. And a- I have yet to get to that point, but, uh, but, Maybe, maybe one day that'd be great. I mean, to each his own, you know, but it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's worked for, I don't know. Yeah. These are the things that I hold dear these days. I don't know what goes on with me. Who knows? <laughs> and you've also taken up running. How's that? Oh uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Just within the last year, actually, I feel like my run anniversary was in January, which sounds oh, nice. so stupid. Um, yeah. I um, was like never someone who was active before. Um, I just didn't see that as like something that was a part of my identity. Um, and I just, yeah, I, I, 
my whole life, my sister is like super sporty and like, is always like going to the gym and all that kind of thing. And I just felt like maybe she just handled that for the Wagners and I didn't have to, (laughs) you know, take on any of that. Um, but then just in January of last year, I like, um, started, um, going to the gym. I like hired a personal trainer or whatever. And like got to a point where I was feeling, um, like I could probably get on a treadmill and run for like five minutes straight. (laughs) Um, and so I started to just like, my, the way I got into running was on the treadmill, which is the weirdest thing because most people who are running are running outside. Um, right. But um, yeah, I was running on, on, on the treadmill, trying to train for actually the Broad Street Run, which is a Philly run. It's 10 miles. It's through the heart of the city. It's gorgeous. And it's also awesome because you run through different neighborhoods. So you start, um, you know, in up, in like Northern Philadelphia, it's um, a little bit more low income. And then you run through and the income up. It increases, but you see the demographic change, but everybody's outside cheering for you, you know? So it's just like, it, it makes you feel like really close to the city. So I signed up for that. It was May of last year. So I had to work towards training for that. Um, and oddly enough, I, um, I wear glasses and I didn't have any contacts. Um, so when I did start running outside, I was like running blurry for like the oh, really? first, yeah, for like oh. the first, like, month I was going outside and like, just like not making eye contact with anybody, just, like n- not like looking around, like just head on the, you know, or eyes to the ground. Cause I like couldn't see anything. And then I like found a, like an old pair. This is kind of gross. I found an, an old pair of contacts. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they weren't open. They weren't open. They were sealed. You know, they were like throw, you know, throw away disposable. And I was like, Oh man, I'm going to hold on to these. I'm going to use them for broad street. So yeah. I put con, this is like, Okay. I put contacts in for the Broad Street run. And it was the first time that I could see and yeah. run. So it was like, I was like endorphins galore. Cause yeah. I was like, Oh man, this is so fantastic. I was like speeding on through. Cause I could yeah. both see I was running outdoors and it was my first race. So, um, oh, but yes, yeah, so I've just kind of continued. I keep signing up for races, keep, keep doing it. It's a good way. Like when I go running, I can just kind of like, I get into like a zone and I just, oh. um, I don't know. It's like very Zen or something for me. It's like kind of meditative. Wow. I'm not right. running fast. I'm not, I'm, I'm not like a speed demon or anything. It's more right. just like the idea that I can continue moving in a forward direction at a sustained slow pace and get somewhere and, you know, exercise and also just have time to like think I, I don't run with music or anything. Um, oh, really? I just wow. kinda, yeah. I'm absorbing the sights and the sounds, you know, it's like very, I actually can't run with music because I just feel very claustrophobic. Oh, but, really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, I like, cause I, I don't know. I like, I don't know. I don't like it. I'd like just running and not really, I'm not, yeah, I'm not like, I don't know. No music. It's your own internal music going on, right? There. Yeah, I guess. I, I actually do sometimes sing to myself. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> so how'd you go from treadmill to running outside? And like, that was a, it was actually a sad day. Like the first time I went running outside, I, I left my, um, my, my running shoes at work and, um, this is kind of weird, but my boyfriend and I are like kind of similar shoes. I, I have very large feet. <laughs> so I put my boyfriend's running shoes on and his are like, and his, his feet are larger than mine. So the shoes did not really fit. And it was like a cloudy day. And I went outside to like, okay, this is it. I'm going to be one of those people who like goes for jogs that I've always like seen and been like, I kind of hate you. Um, and I couldn't, you know, like, and I, and I like was waiting for this day and it was like finally warm out because I started running in the winter and it was getting a little bit warmer. It was maybe like 50 degrees or so. And I, but it was overcast and I went outside and I ran and like, I just like 
wasn't feeling it. Like I couldn't see cause I, right. at, at this point in time, I didn't have contacts. Um, and the shoes didn't fit. And I just like, I, th- I think I maybe, and I also like, maybe my like pace wasn't where I wanted it to be or yada, yada. But I just like, I think I like came home. I just got like upset. I was like, this is not for me. I don't do this. And then it like improved because the next time I did it, I like set myself for, up, up for success. I didn't look at my like clock or anything at all. I didn't right. care about how fast I was running. Mm-hmm. I just, it was more just like the goal for the day was to run outside and not worry about anything else. And so I, I did that. And then it just kind of started to become like a habit and a, a pattern. Um, it's a little difficult in the winter actually, because I'm going back to the treadmill. And now that I've had the outdoor running experience, running on, on the treadmill is like, mm-hmm. you know, soul crushing, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Like it was just, it's like, I don't know. It's like so goofy. There's like, it, you know, people who like aren't, aren't, you know, running necessarily like, ah, oh, those people who yeah. aren't running, but I'm just here to tell you that I was like one of those people. So like, it, like, you know, just, you know, a few I, months I ago. Be- that but i try i've tried a couple times and i actually have a 5k i set up for a 5k uh, in april and so i have to go practice soon ish yeah yeah, so, yeah. And, I, and um it's just i don't know like i like treadmills but then treadmills and really running a 5k are like the opposite spectrum of running because uh, when you get outside and you hit your foot hits the pavement and you are responsible for moving yourself it's just, it's a different type of <laughs> yeah treadmill can like copy so much you know so so here's the thing this is what i did i started with intervals so i would like just see how long i could run straight at like a slower speed and then i would walk and i wouldn't feel bad about walking like that's what you do when you're like training for speed or you're training for anything you run for a little bit and then you walk okay and you walk until you have your breath back and then you jog a little bit more and it doesn't matter it just it doesn't matter like no one it doesn't like I was like concerned like oh what are people going to think when I like yeah. stop jogging and start running or you yeah, know start walking brain that is what's shut up right so, yeah. no but that's like people like that's what that's what people do like that's a very legit way of training um, right. also hot hot tips for running <laughs> um, before the races I always drink a a, a five hour energy that could be cheating that's like kind of <laughs> yeah you're you're already like you're already, already bust through the front lines already by then so, yeah, yeah yeah and then also just people cheering for you you know i don't know i get i'm like kind, i'm probably kind of annoying to run with in a, in a race because i'm like clapping for myself or like i'm clapping for everybody but i'm like just trying to like stay pumped and yeah. i don't know i just i, I, know, I really I, enjoy it <laughs> yeah i love the fight cake because it was um because I there's no way I'm going to do a 10k yet, but uh, but the 5k was like it was like we you had to wake up early, uh, the way the 5k was, and um, but it was so awesome to be surrounded because we're in like in the uh, pits or the release bins. I don't know what we call them, but yeah, uh, no, I think or corrals, corrals. Yes, that's yeah. a, I guess more polite that's the term. term. Yeah. But yeah, so it's a uh, I know the lingo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, is this that uh, it was so awesome to be around so many positive people and they just positive because they're healthy and they're really they're ready to go out there and race and stuff like that so and i, but I also think it's in varying degrees of health like there's like yeah. people who are like super into it and then there's people who are like just getting into it but by virtue of being there together to do something that's mm-hmm. positive there's a lot of camaraderie around it and i like joined like a running philly facebook group and they're always posting stuff and i like everything whenever someone posts something i like it <laughs> i don't know like helps it helps right yeah, that's great. So everyone uh, start running while the five <laughs> k uh, podcast and the, yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember being at South by Southwest like three years ago, and Robert Jolly and Derek Featherstone were doing this like I Fit uh, panel, and like I was like those people with their like <laughs> being fit 
Screw yeah. them. Yeah, and then, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, and then uh, Tontek did one um, a while back too about the, uh, and I missed it because I was like, ah, yeah, all the people. I know, right? What are they gonna do? What yeah. are they gonna tell me? Yeah. So, but, yeah. I do want to like go back a little bit to coding a little bit. Uh, yes. About talk about the future and some of that too. Uh, one thing we, we've talked about, like maybe discussing, is this uh, the career path for developers? Like uh, people, like, do you want to code definitely? Indefinitely? Where do you want to go when you want to spend less time in, in the editor? Because this is, you know, usually, you know, after twenty plus years or whatever in the industry, it's you know, from what I've seen from other people, is that usually the path is to management. Yeah, you know, that's usually. And then, um, and then that's plus or minus. It depends on the personality of you know people who are good managers, love it, and they thrive. And there's people who are really great managers, but they still stick around, or people who realize that they hate managing and they want they go back into the coding and they do something else or something like that. So, um, but it, it is interesting. Like as we, I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on going the future? Yeah, I mean that's that's okay. That's I've I've kind of been like considering my career path recently, and I I don't know. I feel like I want to know like people who 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 were developers and like what they kind of like pivot into. Because yeah, I, I I don't necessarily see myself um, like spending all my time in a text editor in like ten years. You know, maybe sooner than that. Um, Habicog um, has kind of grown and like changed the way that our development team looks over the time that I've been here. So when I started, I was like by far the most junior person at Habicog at all because it started actually as a group of contractors or freelancers who were like at the top of their game coming together and working. Um, and then, and like that kind of level of, um, it's not professionalism, but like people who were at like a very high level, they were high performing in in their career were at Happy Cog and that alone. Um, And since then we started to take on uh, co-ops from Drexel University, which is a local university. So they're going to be at an intern level. Um, And then we've hired some other, or actually their former Drexel co-ops that have been brought on as part-time employees too. And then I'm just kind of like working with freelancers and stuff. I've had the opportunity to, kind of manage projects and lead projects with, you know, a team of, you know, four or five developers in some cases, which has been good for me um, Mm -hmm. because before I was like primary developer, you know, 97% of my day, you know, outside of like the other stuff like Basecamp. So, okay. Lower that number. Like 90% of my day was spent in the tech center looking, you know, like working in a a browser and I was, there was nothing else I wanted to be doing. That was, that made me super happy. Um, But you know, since like things like, um, you know, GitHub code reviews and that kind of thing branching, um, I've started to really enjoy, um, kind of dissecting any given project when it's in design phase, before it goes into development phase, piecing it out, um, planning for it, um, designating, you know, Mm -hmm. modules and things for people to work on getting in there before anybody else does in terms of the code base and like writing out the, you know, CSS style guide or like, sorry, the coding style guide of like how we're going to actually like write this code and how we're going to do the typography and how we're going to do spacing all the like kind of starter files things. Um, and then kind of like not dipping out, but, you know, sending the various pieces that need to be written to other people and then, you know, watching their branch and merging it in and deleting it and kind of going through QA and all the different things kind of associated with like not necessarily writing all the code, but, 
you know, delegating elsewhere. I got to tell you, it's, it's really fun to tell people to do that. And then they do it. It's like, you know, it's like, what the hell is this? Like, you know, cause I was like the one who was doing it before. And now I'm in a position to actually like, you know, and also like fostering people's career and like teaching them and telling them why they need to change things. Not just being like, change this to this, but like pointing them to documentation or an article that maybe they would like to read or, you know, just mm-hmm. actually, you know, coaching them through why we're changing things or why we're doing it this way. Um, and, you know, like fostering people. So like these people that we have part-time right now, they're in school. When they are done school, it is my hope that they join us full-time because we've invested a fair share of time into them and it's working and they're doing very well. And I would love nothing more than to bring, you know, Paul Fan and Chelsea Myers onto our team. You know, that would be wonderful. Um, you know, they're already acclimated. So, um, so that's me kind of taking on a more like management Okay. Role kind of a thing, and you know, my title hasn't changed. I'm still a developer, and I don't want it to change. Um, it's kind of where it's like so flat. We we have a development director, um, and that's important. But um, you know, myself and Dan Delora, who's like a super seniored, uh, super senior develop, super senior. He's like a super tenured developer. He spent a lot of time in in, in code. He was tech lead at his former you know uh, place of business or whatever. Um, so I don't know, like, I, I, I'm not really concerned about the title at all, but it is nice to have the opportunity to lead a team and kind of feel that out. So I don't, it was kind of like, you know, I had said this to you earlier, like, I'm not really sure exactly like what the career path for somebody like me is. If it's, yeah, if it's going to like technical management, this is all like theoretical to me. I, I did recently talk to um, someone who works at Google. His name is Brandon Gray. And I um, know him because he was a, a former Philly um, dev. And um, he is now uh, a brand strategist maybe at, at, at Google. And he was actually recruited from his former place that he was at in, in, into Google. And he, um, is doing maybe more of like a project management kind of role where he's working with huge, which I believe is like something like some sort of agency of record with Google working on new campaigns and initiatives. But because he has a technical background, he can speak specifically around technical requirements. Uh Um, and I asked him like what kind of tools he he's using and, you know, he doesn't spend a lot of time in a text editor, but he certainly can go in if he needs to. It's just, that's not like he's, he said most of his time is spent in, in email right now. And Brandon, if you listen to this and I'm quoting you wrong, I'm so sorry, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, like he, he's doing a lot of, or, uh, maybe, technical liaison or something, you know, but he is in, in much more of a project management role. But the thing is that by getting into this vertical, there's more career growth. You, you, you can go up higher in, in the chain and have more, or, I mean, I guess it's arguable how much uh, effect you have, but um, just in, in terms of like the career ladder, that's, a better vertical to get into. Cause I, I I'm not going to be, I can't see myself like writing code day to day in in 10 years and I want to yeah. do something else, but I don't know what that is. Cause you know, I just, I don't. <laughs> yeah, cool. uh, so yeah, that's a good point to, to end it, wrap things up, but uh, just want to say, how can people uh, find you on the internet and whatnot? Yeah, on the net, um, twitter.com forward slash A-L-L-I-W-A-G-N-E-R, Allie Wagner. Um, I have a website. It's not 
it's just like links to Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Instagram, mm-hmm. Ali Wagner as well. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. So what type of things do you usually tw- tweet about? Just so people know. Um, well, I most recently tweeted about, uh, we launched a website, um, on Wednesday, um, nyt.edu and I'm really proud of it. And I like tweeted a screen grab of like one particular way that I attacked a CSS problem using before and after elements. And it was, yeah, that kind of stuff. So, I I mean, I certainly regard my Twitter account as like mostly professional. I'm not doing a ton of personal tweets there. Um, but if, if I find something interesting on, on the web, I'll pop it in there. Right. Um, like this photo of Steve, Stephen Kaver. Oh yeah, <laughs> we love him, Stephen yeah. Kaver. Yeah, yeah. Oh. That was his like send off. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. He's he, what's he holding here? He's holding. Uh, he's, he's holding a bottle of love. Oh, Some there you good, go. That's the good stuff for him. <laughs> oh, only the best for Stephen Kaver. That's right. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending time. Yeah. Uh, today, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. See yeah. You soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate this. 